It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Overwhelmed at the border. Good afternoon. A Texas town is besieged by asylum seekers, and there's no end in sight to the tsunami of people. 2,000 migrants a day crossing into Eagle Pass, Texas from Mexico. Martha McCallum of Fox News. Picture your own town, right? Just get it in your head. If you had 2,000 people coming in every single day. Texas Congressman Tony Gonzalez is calling on the White House to stop incentivizing illegal immigration. If somebody does not qualify for asylum, you don't bust them to New York, you don't send them to L.A., you don't let them go other places, you send them back to their country of origin. Gonzalez is leading a congressional delegation at the border today to witness firsthand the humanitarian crisis. Congressman August Pfluger will be part of that fact-finding mission. The cartels own the southern border. This is a tragedy that Joe Biden has created. That's why we're here. That's why you're going to see congressional members here today to take a stand and to tell Joe Biden, no funding until you secure the border. Texas Governor Greg Abbott's vowing to continue busing migrants to Democrat-led cities to try and ease the overcrowding at the border. This month is on pace to set a new record for the number of illegal border crossings. Hollywood ending, that's the other big story we're following today. There's new hope in the effort to get Tinseltown up and running again. The 146-day-old writer's strike could be winding down as soon as tomorrow. That means your favorite TV shows could be back on the air as soon as next year. Correspondent Elaine Lowe. If writer's rooms get back by October, then production is feasible by January. Of course, this is entirely dependent on whether the SAG-AFTRA strike gets resolved within that time frame as well. The tentative deal has to do with pay, benefits, and the use of artificial intelligence. Lauren Posen with CBS Los Angeles. We have part of Hollywood back to work. We got the writers, but then we need the actors to perform what they write, right? So they're still on strike SAG-AFTRA, but this no doubt is very encouraging for SAG-AFTRA to see this deal being made with the writers because remember, both unions have been asking for very similar demands here. Reporter Chloe Malos says it'll be a while before the big screen is back to business. Studios already pushing back some major movie releases to 2024, including blockbuster sequels like Mission Impossible, Dune, and Gladiator. Is this not why you are here? Now with the writers reaching a deal, Hollywood is one step closer to being back in action. The writers have been on strike since early May. The actors took to the picket lines in July. The United Auto Workers strike is ongoing. Experts say 11 days in, it's starting to get real for everyday Americans. Reporter Jesse Kirsch is in Detroit. Depending on what kind of parts you need, if you need a car repair coming up, that could become more complicated in the days and weeks ahead. The U.S. UAW has made some progress with Ford, but not the other two of Detroit's big three. President Biden plans to join those striking workers on the picket lines tomorrow in Detroit. Former President Trump will do the same on Wednesday, the night of the second GOP presidential debate, which Trump intends to skip. RNC Chairwoman Rona McDaniel. Oh, I want him to attend a debate, and he knows that. Everybody knows. I think the other candidates also want him to attend a debate. 
Trump still leads all others in the GOP field. A new ABC News Washington Post poll finds Donald Trump with a double-digit lead over President Biden. That survey has Trump up 52 to 42 percent. Just 37 percent of voters approve of the job Mr. Biden is doing. The first House impeachment inquiry hearing into the president happens this Thursday on Capitol Hill. Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer of Kentucky. All roads lead to Joe Biden. From day one, this has been an investigation of Joe Biden, not his son. His son is a key central figure because we believe Hunter was the front man for the Biden family influence scheme. Comer claims bank records, emails, and phone calls prove the president's involvement in a public corruption scheme. The White House calls that probe extreme politics at its worst. D.C. lawmakers are scrambling to avert a government shutdown October 1st. House Speaker McCarthy optimistic a deal can get done before then. President Biden says a lot is riding on Funding the government is one of those basic responsibilities of Congress. And it's time for the Republicans to start doing the job America elected them to do. New York Congressman Mark Molinaro says the GOP is getting closer to getting on the same page when it comes to a spending plan. There are deeply held beliefs, but we agree on two fundamental things. This government spends too much and disrespects taxpayers, and we have to secure our border. That's what we're focused on, and we're inching closer, I think. Arizona Senator Mark Kelly says if there is a government shutdown. Border Patrol agents are not going to get paid. Uh, this is going to, I mean, if we think it's bad today, just think about what that looks like. Congress has until midnight Saturday to avert a shutdown. A growing number of Democrats are calling for the resignation of New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez after he was indicted last week on bribery charges. Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman among them. So too is New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It shouldn't matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. The details in this indictment are extremely serious. Menendez accused of accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes to benefit the government of Egypt and to interfere with criminal investigations. NASA's seven-year asteroid exploration project has wrapped up with a cosmic souvenir, a capsule carrying the space agency's first asteroid fragments landed yesterday in the Utah desert. Mission specialist Dante Loretto. We think we've got a lot of sample in that in that science canister, and we can't wait to, to crack into it. A robotic spacecraft was launched in 2016. It landed on an asteroid in 2020 where it collected those samples. Scientists are now studying them to learn more about how asteroids can impact Earth. The Miami Dolphins did something Sunday that no team has done in nearly 60 years of NFL football. They scored 70 points in a single game on their way to routing the Denver Broncos, Miami head coach Mike McDaniel. If you just worry about the right things, you don't worry about stats, you don't worry about credit, um, you know, it's amazing what a group of people can do going in one direction. The Dolphins came within two points of matching Washington's NFL record of 72 points in a game against the New York Giants in 1966. Miami will take on the Bills in Buffalo next weekend. Randy will have more in sports coming up. Also ahead on today's noon report, three strikes and you're out. Four-day work week and getting around Syracuse. Hi, I'm meteorologist Josh Nichols here in the Weather Center. Some stubborn cloudiness to tie 
talk about for now, with maybe even a rogue shower. But the trend is our friend going forward. I'll have that forecast coming up in 10 minutes. All right, Josh, looking forward to that. Let's check the stories making news where you live next. Power crews scrambling today to get the lights back on in parts of central Pennsylvania after the remnants of tropical storm Ophelia blew through over the weekend. There are dozens of homes in the Bloomsburg area still in the dark. Flash flooding reported overnight in the city of Scranton. Major detour in effect starting today in Syracuse as work begins on the I-81 off-ramp. That's the ramp connecting southbound 481 to Interstate 81. Detours will be in effect until the spring of 2025. Crystal Cole with Spectrum News. The closure will be in preparation for transforming 481 into 81 and redesigning 81 downtown into a community grid. Now drivers coming from 481 South will need to take a detour on 81 North to exit 17. Then they'll take a left on East Calthrop Ave and left again onto the 81 South ramp. It'll be a long lasting change for drivers. Again, that is the southbound I-81 off ramp in Syracuse shut down today till the spring of 2025. Pennsylvania State Police have issued a renewed call for the public's help in finding an 85-year-old Tioga County woman missing since July. Land and water searches in the Westfield area for Phyllis Potter have so far produced negative results. Police are hopeful that with people out and about for the fall foliage and with hunting season approaching, somebody might see something and soon. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is alerting business owners who are looking for employees that a large number of migrants will be able to work soon. Scott Pringle has that story. Kathy Hochul's message to business owners is that help is on the way. She says by November, a huge number of asylum seekers from Venezuela will be able to work and help with the statewide worker shortage after they were just granted temporary protected status by President Biden. My Department of Labor will be working closely with all of you, matching skills because we have to identify who the Venezuelans are. She says there's nearly half a million open positions in the state. Many of those are low-skilled jobs. Scott Pringle, New York. A giant sinkhole has opened up in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. It's forced more than a dozen people from their homes. Officials in Glen Lyon say the sinkhole opened up outside an apartment complex on Rock Street on Sunday. It's more than 100 feet deep. The Red Cross is assisting those impacted by that giant sinkhole in Luzerne County. New York State has implemented a new three strikes and you're out policy for unruly fans in the stands. Those who blow their top could get booted from high school games, no matter what the sport. Reporter James De La Fuente has the latest with News 10. According to the new policy, the first offense will result in a warning to stop negative comments or actions. The second warning is a discussion of the new rules with the spectator and a reminder that the third offense will result in the removal from a game. Once removed from a game, the spectator will have to complete a parent credential course or face a one-time game suspension. The new fan behavior policy takes effect immediately for all high school sports in all districts in New York. A school in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, 
Pennsylvania is reinventing the work week, and so far it seems to be working. Bishop McCourt Catholic High School has gone to a four-day work week, Monday through Thursday, with an optional learning day on Friday. On that day, children are not in school, though the district does offer extra tutoring, SAT prep, as well as field trips. There was a matchup you wouldn't want to be part of Sunday in North Collins, New York, train versus automobile. First responders were training on how to respond in case of a real-life train car collision. When a tragedy happens, we say, what could we have changed? What could we have done different? This is it. It's training. The training exercise was part of Operation Lifesaver, which is all about raising awareness when it comes to the dangers associated with illegally crossing railroad tracks. They see the train coming, they see the gates going down, and they think they can beat the train. The train wins 100% of the time. It sure does. Back in the 1970s, a person or car was hit by a train once every 40 minutes in this country. Today, it's closer to once every three hours. More of us U.S. are warming up to the idea of having larger families. Reporter Rory O'Neill. The new Gallup survey finds 44% of Americans think having two kids is ideal, but 45% say the more the merrier. With 29% of Americans telling Gallup three is the magic number, 12% say four is best. Americans may talk like they want more kids, but the birth rate in the U.S. has been trending lower since the 1960s. I'm Rory O'Neill. All right, Rory, thank you for that. Your Monday Midday Sports is next on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, it was total domination by the Buffalo Bills as they blew out the commanders in the nation's capital, 37-3. The defense racked up nine sacks and forced several more hurries by Washington quarterback Sam Howell. He was picked off four times. Stephon Diggs had eight catches for 111 yards. Josh Allen, 20 of 32 for 218 yards and a touchdown. In Vegas, Kenny Pickett passed for 235 yards and two scores as the Steelers took down the Raiders 23-18. Pittsburgh's defense picked off Jimmy Garoppolo three times, the last time coming on the Raiders' final drive of the game. The Jets cannot beat the Patriots. New England topped New York for the 15th straight time with a 15-10 win. Both the Pats and the Jets now 1-2 on the young season. Other winners yesterday, the Browns, Lions, Packers, Dolphins, Miami scoring 70 points in their blowout of Denver. 70-20 was the final. The Chargers, Texans, Colts, Seahawks, Chiefs, and Cardinals. To baseball, the New York Yankees were officially eliminated from playoff contention, falling to Arizona yesterday 7-1 in the one interleague game. In the American League, the winners were the Blue Jays, Orioles, Twins, Royals, Rangers, Tigers, and White Sox over in the National League. The Phillies, Marlins, Reds, Cubs, Padres, Dodgers, and the Nats and the Braves split a doubleheader. To the NASCAR playoffs, William Byron took home the checkered flag in the opening round of the 12 playoff stage. That automatically qualifies him for the next round. Ross Chastain finished second, Bubba Wallace third. Christopher Bell and Denny Hamlin rounded out the top five. 
That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy Man. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Monday, migrant encounters, message in a bottle, and issues in education. We're going to talk to Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute. Coming up. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Recently, the U.S. Senate held a closed-door meeting with the biggest names from the world of big tech. The purpose of the meeting was to have a conversation about how the federal government could encourage the development of artificial intelligence while also mitigating its risks. Well, given that focus, it's more interesting who wasn't invited to the meeting. No ethicists, no philosophers, theologians, nor anyone outside the highly specialized tech sector. For a meeting that was meant to explore the future direction of AI and the ethics that will be necessary to guide it, nearly everyone in the room had a vested financial interest in its continued growth and expansion. Too often, when it comes to new technologies, we so mix can and should that we convince ourselves that if we can do a thing, well, then we should. Among other things, the shift toward a technocratic society redefines our understanding of knowledge. Technical knowledge takes priority over all else. In other words, the how is revered over the what and the why. Another feature of a technocratic age is hyper-specialization. In higher education, students are encouraged to pursue increasingly detailed areas of study. The result is that those who can do the most have not truly wrestled with whether or not they should. Now, of course, those who are researching, inventing, and developing AI should be in invited to important meetings about AI. However, questioning the risks, the dangers, or even potential benefits of AI requires answering deeper questions first. Questions like, what is the goal of our technologies? What should be our goal? What's off limits and why? What technocratic challenges have we already faced in the past and what can we learn from them? The presidential years of George W. Bush are mostly defined by his handling of the 9-11 terrorist attacks and the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan. However, he also faced a very specific challenge of our technocratic age, and how he handled it is a model for the technocratic challenges of today. You see, a central issue of the Bush second presidential campaign was embryonic stem cell research. Bush strongly opposed the creation of any new stem cell lines that required the destruction of human life, including embryos. His ethical clarity on this was due in part to the remarkable work done by his President's Council on Bioethics, the work to develop an ethical framework for promising technologies. In fact, their work led to an incredible volume consisting of stories, poetry, fables, histories, essays, and scripture. Published just two years into Bush's first term, Being Human is unparalleled in its historical and ideological depth and breadth. Chaired by renowned bioethicist Leon Cass, the council consisted of scientists and medical professionals, but also legal scholars, ethicists, and philosophers. Historically, President Bush's position on embryo-destructive research has been thoroughly vindicated. The additional funding he committed to research into adult and induced pluripotent stem cells produced amazing medical breakthroughs, but not one of the promises of embryonic stem cell therapies ever materialized. Even after his Oval Office successor reversed Bush's policies, rebuilt the Council around only scientists and medical researchers and released enormous funding for embryo-destructive research. What we should or shouldn't do with AI depends heavily on the kind of world this is and the kinds of creatures that human beings are. If, as some have argued, AI is to be accorded the same dignity as human beings, then replacing humans in entire industries and putting tens of thousands out of work is not morally problematic. Disrupting human relationships won't be morally problematic either. If, however, human beings are unique and exceptional and our labor and our relationships are central to who we are, well, these moral questions become far weightier.
For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you. Let's head outside next, get that work week forecast. This is meteorologist Josh Nichols with the Family Life Weather Report. A disturbance sliding underneath high pressure sets the stage for a couple of spotty showers for later tonight, especially southwestern New York, northwestern Pennsylvania, and into central Pennsylvania. Otherwise, the story here going forward for this afternoon and really for most of the week is for dry weather. We'll find some breaks of sunshine for this afternoon. Temperatures will top out into the upper 60s and low 70s. A little bit cooler over western Pennsylvania and eastern Pennsylvania. Again, look for the increase in cloud cover tonight and developing sunshine through the rest of the week. All right, Josh, thank you. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Lots happening Monday, the 25th of September. 2,000 migrants a day are flooding into Eagle Pass, Texas from Mexico. There have been over 11,000 migrant encounters the past 24 hours. Now Mexico's deporting migrants in the northern part of that country to ease the strain at the border. Reporter Manuel Bojorquez is covering the crisis. In Eagle Pass, Texas, men, women, and children arrived by the hundreds. Thank God we're here, says this man from Venezuela. El Paso's mayor expected another 2,000 migrants. The city of El Paso only has so many resources and we have come to what we look at a breaking point right now. More than 7 million Venezuelans have left their homeland in recent years, many heading to Central and North America. That presents a unique challenge, says Ruben Garcia, who runs an El Paso shelter. We do not have diplomatic relations between the United States and Venezuela, and so you cannot deport Venezolanos back to Venezuela. Last week, the White House granted temporary protection status to nearly half a million Venezuelans in the country unlawfully. A series of strikes and shutdowns impacting everything from the government to the auto industry to Hollywood. We'll start in Tinseltown, where there's word today of a possible deal to end the writer's strike, which has been going on since May. Hollywood is breathing a huge sigh of relief. Reporter Chloe Malloy. Nearly five months on the picket line and marathon negotiations over the weekend, the Writers Guild of America says that they have an agreement in principle, a major step in getting your new episodes of those favorite shows back on the air. Now to the United Auto Workers strike. Union leaders have made some progress with one of Detroit's big three. Eleven days into that job action, here's reporter Jesse Kurt. Still no word on any deals, but the UAW says it is closer to a new contract with Ford than it is is with the other two automakers. The union writing in part, quote, our pressure on Ford is starting to pay off. President Biden will appear alongside those striking workers tomorrow in Detroit. Donald Trump will join the picket lines on Wednesday. Trump's opened up a 10-point lead over the president in the 2024 race for the White House. The latest ABC News Washington Post poll has Trump up 52 to 42 percent. And that could stem from the fact that 44 percent of registered voters are reported that they are worse off financially under a Biden presidency. That's the most in this poll since 1986. Reporter Alexandria Hoff. The clock is ticking to avoid a government shutdown on Capitol Hill. House lawmakers have until midnight Saturday to strike a deal. Reporter Ryan Nobles tells us what could happen if that deal does not happen. Millions of government workers, everything from social workers to even members of the military could go without a paycheck indefinitely. Also impacted 
elected government office that handles things like passport renewals and social programs like Head Start would also be impacted. So this has wide ranging impacts across the country if Congress can't come up with a deal with time running out. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez speaking today for the first time since being indicted in a bombshell bribery case. Prosecutors allege he used his office to benefit several New Jersey businessmen as well as the government of Egypt. So what do the senator's constituents think of Menendez? Get him out of here as fast as you can. Second time around, right? It's ridiculous. Crook should have resigned 10 years ago. Great state of New Jersey. Even Phil Murphy wants him out. Something else. Not surprising, honestly. This is just a greedy politician who's living off the government dime. Menendez and his wife accused of taking hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash, gold bars, and a luxury vehicle. After a seven-year mission, a space capsule carrying NASA's first asteroid sample has returned to Earth. The rocket touched down in the Utah desert yesterday. NASA's Lori Glade. These types of samples, they are truly the gifts that keep on giving. They are a treasure, and this mission of Cyrus-Rex is kicking off a decade of sample return. A robotic spacecraft was launched in 2016 and landed on the asteroid in 2020, where it collected those samples. An atheist group is slamming the baptisms of 200 students at Auburn University in Alabama. Fox News religion correspondent Lauren Green. The mass baptism angered the Wisconsin-based atheist organization Freedom From Religion Foundation, and last week it sent a warning to the state school saying in part, it is unconstitutional and inappropriate for public school employees to direct students to partake in religious activities. In response, Governor Kay Ivey, who is the head of the Board of Trustees for Every State University, called their interpretation of the Constitution misleading and misguided, saying in part, requiring college officials to entirely remove faith from their lives could well violate those officials' own religious freedom. Lauren Green reporting. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Issues in Education. Mondays, during the Noon Report, we dig deep on the issues impacting our public schools with the good Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute in Houghton, New York. And Ralph, uh, allegedly, reading is a thing again. Imagine that. Uh, the chancellor of the New York City school system says he will be emphasizing reading skills in the country's largest school system. He must have been listening to this program because you've been talking about the need to do this for a long time. With that in mind, there's an old saying in education, I'm sure you've heard it a time or two, that by third grade children are no longer learning to read, but are reading to learn. Why is that? And uh, is it too late by third grade to develop reading skills? Well, certainly, ideally, reading skills would begin to develop even in kindergarten, but certainly in first and second grade. But I want to say it's not too late by third grade to develop good reading skills. And uh, what the chancellor said is absolutely true, that if you can't read, you're really limited in what you can do in so many aspects of life. I'm just guessing here, but it seems like there is a lot more cases of dyslexia and ADHD being diagnosed than there were when I 
I was growing up, if that's true, I'm not sure if it is, does that automatically mean that those children will need some type of remedial help? Well, I think it is true. Part of the fact is that just the circumstances that teachers are having to deal with now in the classroom, I mean, the lack of good behavior is such an issue that teachers eventually lose their patience with it and make referrals that end up in very often in the diagnosis. Dyslexia is really a learning disability that affects one's reading or writing. ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And unfortunately, I think that's misdiagnosed at times. It's possible that if students just behave better, a lot of that ADHD would not be diagnosed. And part of the the whole behavioral thing starts in the home with their parents. You know, what do the parents let their children get away with? And then you being a baseball fanatic, I know are probably as discouraged as I am about the behavior of people at baseball games and at football games. Certainly, if kids are watching TV and see that kind of stuff, they think, well, that must be the way that you work in the classroom. And unfortunately, as we both know, that's not the case. Yeah, we see they're cracking down in districts like Buffalo where they're limiting fans in the stands because kids can't behave themselves. And it's it's a complicated thing because there's not like a blood test you can take and say, oh, you have ADHD. It is a very subjective kind of thing, not to minimize it, those that do have it that have to take medicine for it. But you're right. You can use that to excuse a whole range of things. Um, So much uh, these days, you know, we talk a lot about CRT and we talk about DEI and we talk about these buzzwords in education that anger parents and and it's righteous indignation. But you you say a lot of the solutions to a lot of these problems if parents were just more involved in their local public school. One way they can do that is to serve on their school board. What are some other ways that parents can get involved, Ralph? Well, you know, it's easy for me to say this because uh, there are lots of ways to get involved. The issue really is that parents, in many cases, because of economic reasons, just don't have time to get involved because both parents are working. Mm. Certainly, the Parent Teachers Association, the PTA, are always looking for volunteers, and those meetings are generally in the evenings, and then some of the activities that they do would be on the weekends. One of the things that every parent can do is attend the open house, and those should be coming up right now, in fact. So be looking for those and make sure that you attend that open house. And then finally, we don't talk enough about Pennsylvania, but uh, there was a big story last week involving uh, the Keystone State. The PIAA says it's going to count all students now. Homeschool, charter school, doesn't matter when it comes to deciding student enrollment, which of course is so important when it comes to the, the different classifications. I know they do it differently in Pennsylvania than they do in New York, but what are your thoughts on that, Ralph, uh, as far as using all of the students, not just the public school students, in determining those classifications? Well, there's some real issues with that, obviously, and this is a new law in uh, Pennsylvania that just is taking effect this year. It does count all the enrollment of homeschoolers, charter schools, and everybody, which could really work to a disadvantage to a school district because it really depends on how many of those students would actually participate. It bumps the classification up, but those students don't participate, that could be a real problem because you could end up in a classification in an area that you just don't have the enrollment to justify at all. Gotcha. All right. Well, we've been a lot of places in the last five minutes, uh, but if you missed or want more information on any of the topics discussed today, Ralph, on issues in education, you have a website where folks can go to. What is it, Ralph? We do, Bob, and that's simply whyrun.org, whyrun.org. 
right, issues in education airs Mondays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. This is meteorologist Josh Nichols with the Family Life Weather Report. A disturbance sliding underneath high pressure sets the stage for a couple of spotty showers for later tonight, especially southwestern New York, northwestern Pennsylvania, and into central Pennsylvania. Otherwise, the story here going forward for this afternoon and really for most of the week is for dry weather. We'll find some breaks of sunshine for this afternoon. Temperatures will top out into the upper 60s and low 70s, a little bit cooler over western Pennsylvania and eastern Pennsylvania. Again, look for the increase in cloud cover tonight and developing sunshine through the rest of the week. All right, Josh, thank you. Finally, a new... I hope that someone gets my message in a bottle. The caretakers of an historic lighthouse in Michigan are floating, we'll say, rather unique contest. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. The White Shoal Light Historical Preservation Society announced a new contest as part of the lighthouse's 113th anniversary. For the contest, four bottles containing messages have been tossed into the Great Lakes. The messages inside offer whoever find them a free stay at the landmark, from stays for one up to stays for five people. The offshore lighthouse, located about 20 miles west of the Mackinac Bridge in Lake Michigan, is the tallest lighthouse on the Great Lakes. The message in a bottle contest pays tribute to the Armistice Day blizzard of November 1940, in which longtime lightkeeper George Keller and a colleague threw a message in a bottle into the water in case they did not survive the storm. The men did survive the storm, and now the lighthouse is bringing that story and the landmark's history to light for a new generation. Brian Query, Family Life News. I like it. Thank you, Brian. And that's the world we live in, folks. Monday, September 25th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.